Our passage today is John 6, verses 22 through 40. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you that true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that my Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we begin. God, we confess now, I confess, that I cannot preach but by your grace and grace alone. We cannot hear your word but by grace and grace alone. We come to you to behold Jesus, our God. Who can give counsel to him? Help us not be like those who cry out in this text, Rabbi, and yet want to argue with their teacher. Help us surrender. Surrender to our exalted, crucified, and risen King Jesus. Amen. When you are extremely hungry, all you can think about is food. You see everything around you through the lens of your hunger. You reject even good things that are offered to you because in your mind, nothing is more important except the food that you want. Anyone trying to help you with anything else, you see as someone who hates you because they ignore the thing you want the most. To you, salvation looks nothing more than food in your stomach. 
A while ago, I had a man show up in my office in, in need of some help. And he shared with me this heartbreaking story of addiction and relational trauma and financial woe. But at this very moment, he just wanted gas for his truck and food on his table. I knew that giving him those things wouldn't solve everything, but I thought maybe if I could help feed his family a little bit, fill their stomachs, then we would just for the moment have that fire put out and I'd be able to reason with him and talk about ways to help him overcome all of these other systemic issues in his life. Feeding him was simply a sign that I had goodwill towards him, ready to help and get him more help. So I filled his truck with gas. I loaded his, his uh, truck with groceries. I bought them lunch to take home for him and his boys. And I encouraged him, there is much more help in Christ and through his people. I shared the gospel with him, telling him that if he surrendered his life to Christ, he would find so much more help than he even knew existed all throughout this city. I told this man to pray about that. And if he was ready to take the next step and receive all of that help in Christ, then I would see him here in church on Sunday morning, ready to surrender his life to Jesus. And he never showed up. Multiple times, he kept calling me back, asking for more food. A few more times, I was able to help him. I, a few of you helped me get this man some food. And every time, I reminded him of this gospel invitation and said, unless I see some effort to respond to Christ's call to help him, there was little more that I personally could do. I don't have the resources to continue to pour into somebody like that. But Jesus does. And he'll work through a wonderful church family to provide all the help this man needs. So I repeatedly connected him to other Christians in this church, in other churches to try to find help. He never would respond to calls from together for good, for their help. Some of you brought him more food. One of you even offered him a job gave him a job, and he wouldn't show up for work. And I found out one day that he didn't show up for a job. Then 30 minutes later, he came to my door again, begging for food. And it just broke my heart to have to tell this man, I can't give you any more food. Don't come asking me anymore. He couldn't see that his problems ran deeper than his empty stomach and there was help available for him in Christ who could provide more food and so much more than he even knew he needed. But suddenly I was his enemy. He thought I hated him. He thought I was rejecting him as a person. But in reality, he was rejecting Christ. He was rejecting Christ's help through the church. It was so hard for me. I struggled with this for a long time, wondering, did I do this right? Is there any goodness I brought to this man who just refused to see that he needed more help than just more food? He rejected eternal life for another meal. Our text in John 6 today helps explain why. It shows us how blind we are in our own passions, that it, these passions often prevent us from seeing, all, receiving ultimate satisfaction for every single one of our desires. 
in Christ himself. These last two miracles that we've studied the last couple of weeks in John 6, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, are meant to show us that Jesus is Yahweh. He's the God who rescued Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, into the promised land. And he has come to care for his people. But the crowds didn't want Jesus' eternal provision. And today's text reveals how deep this blindness runs in our hearts. And it invites us to receive the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus makes this invitation to the crowds that are hungry just for physical bread. And he shows us why not everyone will receive this invitation to spiritual life. So first in Verses 22 to 24, we look at the basic cravings that people have and what it drives us to do, searching for filling from Jesus. And then verses 25 through 34 record a dialogue, a rather uncomfortable dialogue between the crowds and Jesus, revealing their ongoing blind confusion. No matter how much he explains it, different ways he tries to tell them, they still can't receive this more satisfying offer. And finally, Jesus brings bold clarity in 35 to 40, making it plain so we know they didn't miss it, but why they won't receive him. The story is a call for us to receive Christ as the food that endures to eternal life. And it encourages us that when we share this offer, it's not our own generosity and our own eloquence that will convince people to receive it. We just share generously, trusting that God will bring others to Christ. And we're free to move on when they refuse to give up their own cravings and receive satisfaction from him. So let's look at these first three verses, 22 to 24. They, they really just set up this story for us. So we'll run through it quickly to see humanity's basic cravings. Here in verses 22 through 24, we see crowds of people that are just traveling all over around the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, all the countryside, looking for Jesus. News is spreading fast about Jesus and all these wonderful miracles he does, all this great teaching. They wanted to hear it and experience it for themselves. Even more, Verse 15 reminds us that they were striving to make Jesus a permanent fixture in their lives. They want the, this, this miraculous food to be available to them always. So the context of this interaction is kind of skips back over the, the walking on the water scene. That, that was an experience for the disciples only. But these crowds that Jesus now interacts with are coming straight out of the feeding of the 5,000. And their response when Jesus showed himself to be God was not to fall on their faces and worship. Instead, they wanted to make him into an earthly king, a king who can create food out of nothing. That would be a great asset for overthrowing the Romans, right? So with that goal in mind, they travel back and forth all up and down the coastline searching for Jesus. They travel across the sea they share reports with other people who have experienced him in other places. And eventually, verse 24 says that they decide to head to Capernaum to search for him there. It doesn't make any sense that he would be there. How could they get there before him? But they're going to go 
anticipating that this is the place where he often comes back to. Maybe they'll run into him eventually. They're just desperate to find this guy who can give them more food. And this, while this desperation may seem a little bit ridiculous, it's really how all of us are when we are hungry. We can think of nothing but food. Salvation is just getting more food. For you, though, it might not be food. This bread here is a metaphor for everything that we crave. There's many good desires that God built into us that in their place, as God defines them, are, are wonderful. But they can tend to become dominant passions that will twist reality and crowd out other good things, even blind us from more ultimate things. We live in such a, a psychological age where what we think and what we feel, more what we feel, is how we define reality. So we feel like we're the opposite gender. We feel like we're attracted to the same sex. We feel like I'm called to a certain career. We feel like we deserve, we're entitled to certain things. So that must be true. That must be God speaking to me. But feelings are a terrible indicator of reality. Instead of checking those feelings against the one who defines reality and trusting him to give us appropriate desires and to satisfy them himself, instead we take our feelings, we define reality by them, and then we seek out others who will affirm that reality. And then we'll try to force society to affirm that psychological reality as well. Our feelings and desires are part of God's good design but they, he intended for them to point us back to him to, re, to reveal what is most true. So God made us to eat and to drink. He gave us hunger and thirst so that we would work to find that which truly sustains life. He made us to rest, so he gives us sleepiness to remind us that we need to end our striving and trust him to provide for us. He made us to experience relational pleasure. So he gives us sexual drives in order to find satisfaction of that in a marriage where we get to experience God's pleasure that overflows into new life. He made us to create. So he made us with imaginations and industriousness that can work towards building societies that reflect God's dominion. These are all good gifts from God, but they can quickly become corrupting passions that blind us from reality. As we see here with the crowds, we can even deceive ourselves into thinking it's a good and right thing because, hey, they're trying to satisfy their desire in Jesus, right? The problem is Jesus came to be more than just a way to fill our bellies. We must be honest with ourselves and ask, why are we seeking Jesus? Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we come to church? Just to get our own desires affirmed? Or are we coming to surrender them all to him so he can give us new desires and satisfy them according to his eternal plans? On the one hand, you are making Jesus into a servant of your real God, yourself, 
On the other hand, you are surrendering yourself to Jesus as God himself. If we get it wrong, it will just lead us into further blind confusion, which we see in verses 25 to 34. Right away in verse 25, John tells us that the crowds finally found Jesus in Capernaum. They're talking with Jesus there, and they're quite surprised to see him there already. They know he didn't get into the boat. The previous verses says there was one boat there. The disciples got into it and left. Earlier, it said that Jesus went up into the mountains. So how did he get here? He couldn't have walked in front of us. We would have seen him. This doesn't quite make sense. Something strange is going on here. This guy must have a lot of power. Now they're going to engage in a dialogue that reveals their misplaced priorities. All of their questions are showing how they're desperate for only one thing. And it's causing them to miss out on what Jesus' miracle meant to communicate. They're calling him rabbi, teacher. But then they argue with him about his teaching instead of surrendering to it. You may have heard the phrase, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. I've had that level at me a few times. The reality is what Jesus is trying to teach is the opposite is true. We are so earthly minded that we can't receive, let alone do any heavenly good. Jesus knew that their hunger was a legitimate problem. So compassionately, he fed them to to settle their tummies so they could focus. And then he would use that as a sign to point to their greater need and his greater fulfillment. But we see that doesn't always work. As I explained in my opening story, it doesn't always work. Showing someone you care can help lead them to Christ, but not always. First, they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? It's really this loaded question. They don't, they don't really care about the time. Like, oh, interesting fact. Jesus got here at 11.15. No, they're asking, how did you get here so quickly? This is crazy. They're starting to realize this guy's got some power. What's the extent of his power? He can provide food from nothing. He can travel great distances in nearly an instant. It's going to be great to have this guy on our team. But Jesus doesn't really answer their question. As we see in all of his answers in this dialogue, he kind of answers the question beneath the question or addresses the issue that they should really be concerned about. So he says in verse 26, guys, you're not searching for me because you saw the signs and you knew what they were pointing to. You just want more food for your tummies. Tummies, that's the, the, the word for stomachs when you have six kids running around your house. If they had read the sign of his feeding of the 5,000 correctly, they would have seen that it was pointing to him as the God who provides. He has all power and authority. He could satisfy every single need of theirs, but they don't want it. They just want food. They want him to be able to be available all the time just to give them food whenever they get hungry. It's all they care about. They're blind to everything else. So he further explains You guys are working so hard, so hard to find food 
in this world. You work and you work to grow food and to buy food and to make meals. But this food just perishes quickly. It goes bad. It rots. It spoils. Instead, you should find food that endures to eternal life, which I'll give you. The Father guarantees it. He sent me to give this food to you. If you think about food, it it requires a ton of work to get to your table every single day. We're separated from most of that work in our lives because you could go to the grocery store, you can go to a restaurant, and within five minutes, you have a meal ready for you without hardly any thought or work. But you should slow down occasionally and think about, where that food came from. Somebody had to prepare seeds, save seeds from last year. Somebody had to till up the ground and plant seeds and get rid of weeds and pests and take care of the animals and feed the animals and nurture the animals. And then they had to harvest the crops, process the meat, package it, ship it, store it, stock it on shelves, then sell it, and then go to the store and get it and bring it to your house and have the kids unload it in the wrong spot in your pantry. And then your wife works hard to actually make the meal and sit down and you wrangle all the kids to get to the table. It's a lot of work to get a meal brought to your table. And it was even more work 2,000 years ago when the food went bad almost daily. That's why Jesus had to tell his disciples to pray for God to give us today our daily bread Praying for your food is a way of slowing down and thanking him for every single step, every single person that God used to bring it to your table. Because your survival depends upon all of God's sovereign work through those people. So with so much work and so much at stake, you can see why these people would be so utterly focused on food. But even so, Jesus says there is food more important, more satisfying than this. Unlike the manna in the wilderness that went bad every single night, you had to go collect new manna. This food lasts forever. And it not only lasts forever, but it makes you live forever. This is some exciting food Jesus is offering. So they respond to his answer, further revealing more blindness. Jesus had just said, Jesus is their covenant God, Yahweh, who will provide for them even more than he provided for them in the wilderness. But they just want another meal with, of course, the cool benefit that it makes them live forever. So they ask, what must we do to do these works of God? Again, underneath it, what they're asking is, what do we need to do to obtain this power? How do we get this food that will make us immortal? Remember, they they want Jesus to be their king and overthrow the Romans and make lives easier, their lives easier on themselves. They think Jesus has come to recruit them for an army and he's going to make them into a super army with some magic food. Can you imagine having an army that doesn't need to stop and get food? They don't need to run home to get more. And this food makes them unable to die. The Romans don't stand a chance. These crowds, though, they just, they don't understand what he's talking about, and they keep twisting it into this weird story. They keep reinterpreting his words in light of their own corrupted passions. This should sound familiar if you look around our world today. 
Jesus corrects them in verse 29. This is the work of God. It's not your work. It's God's work that you would believe in him whom he has sent. That's a tongue twister. In him whom he has sent. He's saying this food isn't food that you can work to obtain. Only God can work and provide this food. The only work you can do is just believe. Trust that he will give it to you. There's no battle for you to fight. There's no work for you to do. Your work is simply to believe, trust, receive the food that God can give. That's really the theme of this entire book, remember? He writes these things so that you may believe. Believe isn't just some religious word that means I think there's a God. I sure hope there's a God. And Jesus did some, he's God too. And he did some cool things 2,000 years ago. And somehow he's going to let me into heaven. Belief means Jesus defines your reality. And you trust that he satisfies every need of yours. Belief in Jesus means making him a part of your life in the same way that bread becomes a part of your body when you eat it. Your body takes it apart and it becomes the nutrition and the energy that you need to live the rest of your day. But they still just don't get it. These guys don't realize that Jesus is talking about himself. It seems so obvious to us, but he's referring to himself as the food that will feed you into a world that is beyond this world. They're so obsessed, caught up in these shadow lands, as we talked about last week, wanting their desires, their affections to be affirmed and celebrated in this world. They, they know that somehow they're supposed to follow Jesus in order to get that, but they don't know how, why, what it means. They did kind of pick up a little bit of this Jesus talking about bread from heaven as miraculous provision. So, and they have the story from the past of Moses providing bread. So they ask for more clarity in verse 30. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you what work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Jesus had told them, only God can provide this bread for you. And they're supposed to trust Jesus somehow to bring this bread to them. So they're putting this all together. It sounds a lot like Moses in the wilderness. And yeah, Deuteronomy 18 had said, that there was going to be a greater prophet than Moses. They made that connection back up here in verse 14. So if Jesus is the greater prophet than Moses, and they're supposed to follow him, he'll do greater signs than Moses, so we know to follow him. So they're, they're wondering, well, Moses sent plagues. He brought us through the Red Sea. He brought water from a rock. He brought bread from the sky. Whew, that's impressive. What's Jesus going to do? Jesus will do greater things. In fact, he has already done greater signs. But because they're so focused on getting some bread, they can't see the signs. Jesus responds in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Moses didn't give you that bread. That was from God. But even that was simply to point you 
to the one who provides for you. There was a down payment on a promise for truer bread, bread that endures to eternal life. Get your eyes off the manna laying on the ground and lift your eyes to the bread coming down from heaven. That is God himself. He's the one who will give you life. Jesus can't get any clearer. I was wrestling over this a lot this week, just frustrated with these people and wondering, why is Jesus being so coy? Just tell them already, I'm God, I will provide your every need. We, we have these like super logical mindsets in our modern culture where we just want everything laid out in black and white. But Jesus knows that sometimes a metaphor can speak even more clearly. It doesn't just convince our logical minds. It appeals to all of the ways we engage this world so that we can know the truth with our minds and our imaginations, with our brains and our bellies. The fact that they don't get it doesn't mean that Jesus is being evasive. Jesus is showing us how deep their blindness goes that all of their senses are dulled by sin, selfish desires, idolatrous passions. Jesus couldn't be any more clear. And their last statement is the final nail in their spiritual coffin before he's going to send them away in the next section without any more food, spiritual or physical. They respond, sir, give us this bread always. You still don't get it. They're still obsessed with just finding food and with wanting Jesus to be around always to give it to them every single day. They want this magic bread to solidify them, affirm them in their idea of the good life. Don't let this be why you come to Jesus too. Don't expect him to satisfy all of your desires in the way you want because you'll not only find yourself not satisfied that way, but then you'll become jaded to Jesus himself and his people. You start to look doubtingly upon them and upon everything he says. You start to deconstruct your faith thinking, I tried that. It's not what everyone said it was going to be. You become against the true message of the gospel. And you twist it to reinterpret it to fit your narrative. We must come and lay our desires at the feet of Christ and receive him alone as the food that endures to eternal life. Seeing this interaction or, and maybe knowing some people, I know a few of you have friends who have wandered away. You wonder, it makes you wonder, why don't some people get it? Why do they walk away dissatisfied? How can people be so blind and reject the truth. Maybe, maybe Jesus, if he were just a little bit clearer, then they would receive him. So he answers that confusion in the final verses here with some bold clarity. He says in verse 35, this is clear. I am the bread of life. Guys, I'm talking about me, God. You need to trust me. Another instance of him saying, I am Yahweh. I'm taking the name that you remember from the burning bush in Exodus 3. I am, I am. That's me. They knew what he was saying when he claimed I am. 
And he makes it even more clear when he says, anyone who comes to me will never hunger or thirst. He is the God that sustains life. He couldn't be any more clear. So why don't they get it? Verses 36 to 38 explain why they see him and yet do not believe. It's because God has not brought them to Jesus to know. If the Father brings somebody to Jesus, Jesus will sustain them by his true bread. If not, they won't understand it. Because Jesus alone is the true bread, and they won't come to him unless the Father brings them. Jesus says, believing in him, coming to him, is a result of the Father working to bring you to Christ. It's only possible if God makes you able to believe and understand. That's a really hard thing to wrestle with. I know a few of you, even in the last couple of weeks, have reached out to me asking questions like these. How is that possible? How does this work? If you're still wrestling with that, I would love to get more resources into your hand to help you through that wrestle. So ask me afterwards and I'll help you out there. But what Jesus wants to give us here is comfort. He wants to comfort us in realizing that you don't have sight to find your way to Jesus. You, you don't have the strength to keep yourself close to him. You don't have the ability to work towards this food. You don't have the eloquence to convince someone to follow Jesus. All of it is God's work. It's Jesus' ability alone to feed someone unto, unto eternal life. And so you don't have to fret that you haven't done enough. If only I would have fed that guy one more time, maybe he would have come. That, it's not my ability that can convince him. It's God's alone. He delights in using us, but it, it will be done in a way that shows he is in control. He will finish his work. That's the great promise of verses 39 and 40. All that the father brings to the son, he will not lose a single one. I didn't try to make that sound like a poem. Nobody who eats the true bread from heaven will fall away from the faith. Jesus is even clarifying here that he's not talking about physical bread because he even suggests you're going to still die. You might even die because of your faith. This isn't bread that keeps you living in this life, in the, keeps you immortal in the shadowlands. There's no organic food, there's no medical treatment, no hormones or surgery, no essential oils or vitamin supplements that are going to keep you happy and alive forever in this world. Death will overcome all of us. But Jesus promises that those who eat the true bread from heaven will rise on the last day. Those who look on the sun and believe in him will be with him forever. He says the foundation of this eternal life is the sovereignty of God himself. The foreknowledge, the plan of God the Father to bring those whom he has chosen to the Son. The work of the Son in his perfectly obedient life, death, and resurrection to bring us out of the shadow world. The work of God's Holy Spirit working to and fro throughout the earth to call those people whom Jesus has died for into his presence to open our eyes so that we will see and receive the food that endures to eternal life. Let him be your daily bread 
that sustains you through this life unto your death and into your own resurrection in Christ. Receive Christ as the food that endures to eternal life. Let study of his word and his nature be your feasting. Let worship with the saints be your heavenly banquet. Don't come to him just to solve your problems here on earth, to affirm your passions. It saddens me how churches have become so spiritually malnourished. Churches have given so much teaching on improving our physical lives, how to have a better marriage, how to be better parents, how to have an identity that overcomes anxiety, how to be better employees, workers in the marketplace, instruction how to engage politically or not. These are all important things, but God designed them to be pointers to his love for our souls, to his ability to give us a new identity and calm our fears, to Christ's work for us in his life, death, and resurrection to accomplish his purposes, to his reign as king over all nations. As a church, we want to reveal more of Christ to one another. Our job is to help you be a sign pointing to eternal life in Christ. Trust him each day as the source of your life as you would trust the food you eat to give you nutrition and energy to live. And when he is your daily bread, then your life will become a sign that points others to Christ as the food that endures to eternal life. Then, as I only recently was freed from my guilt and frustration, then you can give generously to those in need. And use your service to them in their need as a pointer to Jesus. And when they don't receive it, you can feel free to move on. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Rest in the sovereign work of God, the Father, through Christ, by his Spirit, to feed his true children in the provision of the food that endures to eternal life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus that you have given us his word that endures forever. May this word go down deep in us and satisfy us, that we could let go of all the things we're striving so hard to satisfy and we would find sweet peace and rest in the eternal food that is Christ. Amen.